Hey, everybody, and welcome to the second My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Brandon Hilkert. Brandon, do you want to say hi? Hey, how's everybody doing? Um, now, I sent you a list of questions beforehand, and uh, we're just going to go through that list. But before we do that, um, do you want to just kind of give people an idea really quickly of where you're working and what you're up to these days? Yeah, sure. Um, I work on a company called Bark, and we make software to help protect kids online uh, by detecting issues like cyberbullying, sexting, grooming on their social media and text platforms. Um, been doing Ruby for, um, I guess, eight-ish years now. Um, wrote the book Build a Ruby Gem about three years ago and uh, write on my blog at brandonhilker.com. So that's I'm sort of out and about and try to just write about some of the things that I'm working on and um, try to keep everybody in the loop and, and hopefully help them uh, with their process, whatever they're learning at the time. Boy, a job like that, uh, you know, working a place where you, yeah, you help take care of kids online, that's got to be pretty rewarding. It does feel good. You know, you can build a lot of things um, these days and there's a lot of random silly apps, but, you know, at the end of the day, sort of feeling like you did some good in the world is is definitely um, is definitely a plus on top of all the other stuff. Awesome. Well, we brought you on. Um, what I've done is I've reached out to all of our past Ruby Rogues guests, and you were on episode 291, which was released toward the end of December. Um, and we talked about your building a Ruby Gem book. Um, and uh, yeah, so I thought it would be interesting just to go back and kind of get your story as to how you got into programming and how you got into Ruby. So do you want to kind of walk us through the process that you went through uh, to become a programmer? I mean, you know, maybe you started early in life or late in life. Uh, Yeah, just kind of paint that picture for us. Yeah, sure. Um, I was probably, you know, I took a non-traditional track to to programming. So um, I went to school for mechanical engineering. um, So my only exposure to programming um, in the sense that we more or less do it now was, you know, the, the required classes in college, which was, I think at the time was C++. And I thought it was miserable. And I, uh, at the time, <laughs> <Me too. laughs> didn't know how anybody could spend eight hours a day looking at that stuff. Um, it just wasn't for me. And and I realized that pretty quickly. Um, and so I, you know, went on my way and, and eventually took a job doing uh, HVAC design um, for kind of church and school spaces. And, and eventually it just got boring and um sort of fell my way into tech support for a school district in the area where I was at the time. And, you know, that was sort of bottom of the barrel, you know, position of, of tech and how you can help. And it was, it was desktop support, um, helping teachers kind of get, um, acclimated and be able to do the things they need to do on the computer at the time. And, um, you know, it, it, I was, I was between two schools and I found that I was going back and forth and it was pretty cool because every, every day was a little different than the the one before. And I was learning a lot because there was, there was a lot to learn. And prior to that, I had, I had built a computer or two, but didn't, didn't know much more than that. Um, and so I, I did have a little bit of experience with HTML and CSS, but you know, this was like kind of classic GeoCity style. So nothing, uh, nothing too complex. Um, and so I, I guess my, you know, my interest built from desktop support and then got into, um, systems and networking to the point where, you know, and I was, on, I was working in a school district, which had a Microsoft, um, kind of whole operation going on, right? So mm-hmm. you're, you're pretty deep into the active directory and, um, kind of whole district wide DNS and routing and all that. Oh, yeah. So Group that policies. was what I went down. Yep, Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, I went down that path of just 
getting acclimated with Microsoft and Cisco. And then um, later left and, and started, you know, getting into more performance stuff and ended up with a marketing company that managed some uh, websites for um, a pharmacy chain. And that was my first, it was a small company. So as, as a systems person, you get exposed to, you know, you're wearing a lot of hats. And so my, my job was hired as systems, but, um, you know, right next to me was uh, a couple, a couple people that worked on the website and this website was classic ASP. So at the time, uh, as at the time that was sort of end of life and Microsoft was nearing the start of, you know, where do we go from here, which was .NET, um, and the company itself had a decision to make whether we continue down the, the Microsoft path or do something different. And um, the CTO at the time made the decision to rewrite the site in PHP using um, a MVC framework called CodeIgniter. Um, I think I, I think it's still available, but I, I just I don't it doesn't appear to be as popular as it was then. And um, yeah, so so a handful of people they they had largely. Um, hired consultants, that, but they were like long-term consultants. So they, that they exclusively worked for the company, but they just had a long relationship with the CTO. So, and I guess from there, you know, I just asked questions and I found it interesting that they were making this switch. Um, and so I got a little bit involved in that and started going down the path of like, oh, this, this seems much more approachable, you know, than the C++ that I remember from college. So I started writing a little bit of code here and there. And then they asked me if I wanted to do it you know, as, as my full-time job, like I, more and more, you know I mean? It, it wasn't an overnight thing, but it slowly transitioned to be more and more. And it was the first time where I, where I found, I found that kind of that setup, I was able to solve these business problems that I had in my head because I, I'd always been sort of like problem, a problem solver and websites for me were fascinating in a sense that there's, um, yeah, you, you have a, a very quick ability to make changes and see kind of like the things you're building. And for me, that mechanical um, nature, you know, was, was there in terms of like build something, see it work, play with it, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Websites had that same uh, feel to me, but just from a code perspective. So PHP and, and that kind of whole stack um, in my head made sense. And it didn't feel like work as much as, you know, just get it on, get it in the editor and, and see this thing come to life that you just built. And that was pretty cool to me. So, um, I, I started doing that and, and on the side was working on some side projects. I thought, well, I could really get into this and do this more. What if I, you know, what kind of opportunities would this, would there be for me if I did this all the time um, and not just sort of like manage systems and then do this on kind of excess time at work. So I started doing it nights and weekends and then picked up a Rails book. And it was really interesting for me because um, I was reading through this book and I was like, oh, Ruby, you know, the language looked a little different, not too different, but um it looked different enough that it, it, it felt just as comfortable as I was. Can I, was can I stop to. you here for a minute? Because yeah, I, I kind of want to go dig into that, uh, just getting into programming and especially PHP and nights and weekends and stuff. So was your first exposure to uh, programming in college then? Yeah, if you don't count HTML, which uh -huh. um, for someone, un, you know, that I never kind of came in contact with it. I guess that, you know, for me... Um, I'm trying to even think if there were forms involved. I don't think there were. I think I think they were static and, you know, but I was writing the HTML tags by hand and everything else. Um, so I guess that, that was that was my first exposure to real programming, I'd say. It was definitely C++. Yeah, it's just, it's interesting because I think a lot of people have this, this picture in their head of sort of the perfect 
uh, computer science major programmer, right? And so, you know, they've been playing with programming since they were six. And, you know, they, they were doing Java in their sleep. And right. then yeah. um, they went. Games, right? Yeah. Old. Yep. And then they, you know, they got to the point where it was, okay, well, now I can, uh, you know, I'll go, I'll go get my CS degree. And so they just kind of breeze through that. And then, they, you know, yeah. they wind up with a full-time job. And, you know, I, I kind of like to highlight the people who didn't come in that way. I mean, you did have a, a technical degree, but it was focused in a completely different area. Yeah. And I think for a long time that, that, that was hard for me to rationalize in my head that I would be able to do this uh, mm-hmm. for money. And, and secondly, like professionally in a sense that this could, this could be my career and I could possibly support myself and maybe some other people with it. Um, I, I felt like, you know, I was, I think at the time <clears throat> I was making this transition, I think I was probably maybe around 26 and, uh, you know, most stories don't come across like, uh, yeah, I was 26 and I, I wrote some lines of code um, for the first time, you know, in, in a serious sense. And like you said, you hear the stories about, you know, sort of came out of the womb writing code. And um, I felt like I, I was at a huge disadvantage, you know, because I, I thought to myself, why? I guess this is the classic um, imposter syndrome. You know, why Why would anybody listen to me when they're, you know, the, the person next to me has you know, 25 years of experience Mm -hmm. and as a CS degree and has built operating systems. And, um, that was really hard for me to get over. And I, and, but, and I think early on, it really, it really made me dig down deep and, and like I was, I was spending all my time, I mean, all of my time, uh, reading books, you know, all these books that kind of are the classic, uh, literature for, um, programming, uh, and, but but there was I think a point where I sort of was coming over that hump and thinking I, I can learn this you know I, you can learn anything you really put your mind to and, and then I realized that I had been in contact with a few people that uh, you know did go to school for computers but they didn't really have much drive and mm-hmm. I think you see it a lot on the Microsoft side especially in that you know it's sort of enterprise and people aren't particularly inspired by a lot of companies they work for it's it's a job you know and you go home at, at five or whatever and you go about your business and it's not your hobby. So you just kind of like get by and you make your paycheck and that's the end of it. And they don't excel necessarily. And you know, that, that passion and that kind of drive to learn more, I think is what, what sort of brought me to a point where I felt like I was comfortable around those people that did have that traditional computing degree um, and were much more advanced. And, you know, in, in the end, I think, you know, um, I don't want to say computer science because I know there's more to it than, you know, what maybe you or I program websites or whatever. Um, it's a trade and it can be learned pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's weird to uh, associate it with things like um, you know, the, kind of a classical trade, like an electrician or a plumber. Um, but it just so happens that technology is in higher demand than those, I think, in, in most areas, at least. And you can learn it, right? And you don't necessarily need a degree. I mean, there's probably cl- plenty of classical stories of the founder being, you know, the, the high school, college dropout and and it working out just fine. But um, I think anybody can learn it if they really want to. And that, that was my position was I, I, I wanted to learn. I really, really genuinely wanted to learn and spent every ounce of energy I had doing that for quite a few years. And um, yeah, it turned out that you sort of end up at the same level. I mean, 
it's not uncommon to hear that what you learn in college isn't necessarily exactly what you do in the real world. And I found that to be true with engineering too. Um, mechanical, you know, when I came out and do my first job, I thought, man, this is, this is not what I went to school for, what I learned. But it turns out that's, I think, probably true just about everywhere or every major you have. So, um, you know, I was, I just kind of skipped right to learning the real world stuff and, um, dove into it head first. And, and that's what, that's what really helped mm-hmm. me, give me confidence, I think. Um, I'm, I'm really curious though, because it sounds like you, you've kind of talked through the process of getting over this imposter syndrome. And I know yeah. I talked to a lot of people that, you know, they've been programming for five years or more and they're still at that, that stage of, I just, you know, I don't have a CS degree. So I yeah. mean, where, where did you get over it? I mean, at what point were you going, you know what? Um, I can do this. Like it, I, I don't have a disadvantage just because I don't have a computer science degree. I think it was just a lot of practice. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I was making, um, yeah, I was making little toy apps you know, on the side and full apps, you know, where start to finish, you know, they were usable and I would put them out there and, um, I was consuming so much, you know, so much content about what a good app necessarily would look like. I was reading a lot of code on GitHub, seeing how different people did it. Um, I was inspired by just, um, kind of the, the rails way, you know, mm-hmm. those, those, those books and, um, you know, the whole, uh, that whole series on just, um, writing clean, elegant Ruby rails code. And I was always looking for sort of a better way. And at some point I think I, I started to plateau in a sense that my code that I would write, you know, if I wrote an app tomorrow, wasn't necessarily changing much from the day before, not to say that it was perfect, but it worked for what I was doing pretty well. And I, I didn't find it to be, I didn't look at it and go, Oh man, that was, that was a mess. I, I can do that better. Um, I, w- I was finding ways, um, to do kind of the common patterns that I had in most of the problems that I was working on. And then I think honestly, what, what really helped was starting to write, you know, through my blog. Um, and I remember starting it thinking like, what am I going to write about? And I was like, well, I'll just write about whatever I was working on at the time. And I didn't, I didn't really have any expectations. And and so a handful of posts, I think got, you know, kind of did the whole like hacker news front page thing. And, you know, while there are quite a few negative things that come about press like that, there were a large majority that were positive. And I thought, hmm, that's weird. Like I'm, I'm not any different than many of these people I have been doing this for maybe three or four years. Why, why should they listen to me? And I think it, I realized very quickly that many of the people that were the same as me just don't write it. Um, and, or they're, they're, they're feeling the same way I am in that, like, they don't feel like they're the best at what they do and there's so much to learn. And why would people listen to them? Um, and then in the process of sort of deciding to write the book, I realized that there's always someone that knows less than you. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be an expert. In fact, a lot of the stuff that I've read that I've found most impactful has been people that are around my skill level at the time, whatever that time was. And so I didn't find that somebody who had 25 years of Rails experience, if, I don't even know if that's possible at this point, but um, <laughs> you know, call it a decade, uh, when I was two years in, I wasn't finding reading their articles was really impactful to me because I just wasn't, I wasn't in that general vicinity of their skill level. You know, I was finding the people that were sort of similar to me, but maybe had worked on some different type of issues, their writing and the way they thought about the problems and described them as 
much more like I was I was more able to kind of grasp what they were talking about and say, yeah, you know what? Last month I did kind of hit that that stumbling point and the solution looks nice. I think I'll give it a shot the next time I, I have that problem. And, you know, so it's sort of like moving in this this cloud of people that are similar to you. And eventually you realize that, you know, time goes by and it's like, man, it's been this long. Um, experience really helps, you know, and, and so for me, it was those toy apps and then writing mm-hmm. and just hearing from people saying, yeah, I had that problem. This is awesome. Thank you so much. And when you hear thank yous like that, it, you know, whether, whether there's 10 negative comments that go with it, you know, you help, if you helped a one single person, that's, it's pretty powerful, you know? So, um, I think just getting over that hump saying, just write, just write some stuff, you know, it may not be useful to everyone and they can just close the tab and, and move on with their day. But if it helps a couple people, that's, it's pretty cool. So, um, you know, and, and it yeah. might not help everyone, right? Even somebody more advanced, like they're going to look at it and say, I know this, why would I read this? But, um, I don't think, I don't think I'm really out to help those people, you know? Yep. So I'm, I'm going to push this back over to, you picked up a rails book. <laughs> mm. So how did you get into Ruby? Well, from that, really, I mean, I, I had seen this MVC framework code igniter, you know, with PHP and I had seen, you know, I was kind of scouring their message boards, trying to figure out the right way to do things and how to structure the code and, and all this stuff. And I had heard people mention, oh, well, rails does it this way. Like, rails, what is rails, you know? And, um, I had a friend that worked in systems as well, but he was, it was more on the Linux side. And he had mentioned Ruby a couple times to me as like, you know, he had written some scripts here and there to do some stuff for his work. You should check out Ruby. And I was like, Oh, okay, whatever. Um, and then it sort of all came together. You know, I was like, well, people keep mentioning this rails thing. I should just go look at it at least, you know? So I bought, I bought a book. I think it was the agile programmer rails book, you know, one of the earlier uh-huh. ones and, um, went through it, just kind of skimmed over it. And was like, ah, oh, it's Ruby. I mean, I don't really understand this, but the things that I that I'm seeing here in terms of like creating a form and submitting and um, you know structuring a web page and templating, uh, all that stuff was pretty similar to what Codeigniter was trying to do. And there were a handful of other frameworks at the time in the PHP land that were all MVC based, um, and they all appeared to be you know basically copying Rails. Um, I don't want to do it a disservice cause I'm sure there was, there was some more thought behind it to that, but you know, there was this, you know, rails would come out with something and then two or three months later it would sort of show up in, in some of those frameworks mm-hmm. similarly. And you'd say, Hmm, that's weird. And so I thought to myself, why would I, why would I do this? If like rails is sort of like paving this path, why, why not get on the, the rails path? You know, um, why would I have to wait, you know? couple of months for these features to come out. And, you know, Ruby looks pretty nice too. I mean, like I don't see it as a stumbling block. And so, um, at that, at that time I was trying to write a little bit of Ruby and then, um, professionally I got this opportunity to, uh, work with a startup that had contracted out the the first version of their site, um, to a group overseas and they, they did it in, in rails. And, um, this was like the, <laughs> this was the tipping point, which was like, I was the only tech, well, I, I was the main technical person, yet I don't have tons of experience with Ruby. How is this going to work? And it was, it was a matter of like do or die, you know, like, uh, I was going to learn this if the site was going to get updated. And so at that point it was, I think it was good though, because it made me, it forced me to learn it, you know, otherwise I could have been doing it nights and weekends for more months and sort of been like, oh, this is okay, but never would have made me switch maybe because I, it would have been too uncomfortable. Um, so the force of, of 
you know, jumping over to that side for me was, was what did it, you know, and it, and it was, I, I would say it was definitely rough for a couple months. Um, I would do some things and feel good about myself and then, you know, promptly mess something up or, uh, you know, hit a sort of stumbling block that wouldn't be uncommon for someone new to rails to hit. But, uh, you know, eventually I started seeing the light, you know, my productivity was, was high and I was seeing that, um, and all those things that, you know, rails touts as advantages, you know, sort of coming to light for me. So, uh, I'd, you know, it, it was, that was the, that was the only programming language I was using at the time. And, um, for me, you know, at that point I just said, I'm all in, you know, um, this is what I'm going to do. It was a little scary to, you know, kind of switch to programming. I mean, that jump to the rails app, I had the comfort of, staying at the job where I was, you know, and doing kind of systems plus some PHP stuff, but I wasn't like a full-time programmer. I th- it, it took me a lot to, to kind of make that leap just because I thought if I do this full-time, I'm, I'm starting over, you know, and I'm starting over in the sense that like, if I decide to do it for a couple of years and then come back to systems, like I'm going to be out of touch with systems and what's going on at the time. So I thought a lot about making sure that that was really what I wanted. And, um, it was exciting. You know, it was really exciting for me to see how I could just kind of make these things so fast and, and be productive. So um, it was a, sort of a leap of faith, but I, for me, I couldn't be happier with how it turned out, making that decision. Nice. So uh, I'm going to move on to the next question, and that is um, what um, – what, <laughs> I guess I better have that edited out, huh? Because I can't even talk. Um so the next question is, what kinds of contributions have you made to the Ruby community? Um, I mean, I see the, your book, for example. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have a bunch of blog posts. But but yeah, in general, like, what do you feel you've contributed to the Ruby community? Yeah, I think early on, um, when I moved to that company, there was a period of time I was like, really kind of heads down for a year, year and a half. And then things started to lighten up a little bit. And I thought, man, I... Um, all this stuff is open source. I mean, coming from a Microsoft background, you know, this was um, <clears throat> five or six years ago, you know, where everything was closed source on Microsoft, you know, and um, I was used to that side of things. So seeing everything out in the open was was a different uh, way of doing things. And for me, you know, these gems that, you know, we commonly just bundle in our Rails apps that are significant in terms of functionality. Um, I thought, man, these people are making this stuff and, I feel like at that point I was getting to the point where I I could do that, you know, and I wanted I wanted to give back in a way um, for everything that you know Ruby and Rails was offering me at the time, and uh, but I also wanted to keep learning, you know. So rather than yeah, I didn't think I had any kind of like monumental patterns in my apps, you know. I was just kind of getting used to how things were were working, and it's not like extracting some piece of functionality from my little toy apps or what I was working on at the time was going to be groundbreaking for anybody that had tons of experience. So I went, I went to a place where I was like really uncomfortable and that turned out to be multi-threading and I knew nothing about it. And this library called sidekick was just coming kind of into popularity. And I tried to switch it, um, switch to using it at the time. I think we were using delayed job and, and everything kind of blew up and it turns out that, um, some things we were using uh, within the app were not thread safe. And I learned, I learned a really strong lesson at the time. And I was like, thread safe, what, what is it? What's even going on here? You know? And, and so I realized there was sort of this door that opened of like, wow, this is, this is, you know, coming from systems. This is something that I 
I have nothing on, you know, like, well, how does this even work? What is going on here? And, um, we kind of fixed up the pieces in the app that, that were, um, causing us to not be able to use sidekick and to be able to use it. And all of a sudden we had this huge bump, you know, we, we had the kind of typical, like a bunch of worker processes doing all this stuff and limiting based on the AWS, um, instance size we were using. And then all of a sudden we used sidekick and we didn't need all those workers or we needed far less, I should say. And so sidekick was like magic to me. It was like, how does this work? You know, I want to, I want to know everything about it. So I was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I could try to get involved in the project and, um, maybe there's something that I know that, um, could, could be helpful for the project, um, in exchange for me sort of like learning and digging into threads and how multi-threading worked and everything in Ruby. And so when I went to Sidekick, um, we, we were using it for a couple months at that point. And what I noticed was, uh, the UI there, there's a, you know, there's a web UI you can mount that sort of gives you a snapshot of what's happening in the system. There was, um, there was a box that had how many jobs processed and like how many were retrying and how many, um, had, I guess had erred or whatever. Um, we would do, we would do these big batch things every night. Um, our thing was about matching people. So we'd have these matching jobs that go through all this data and kind of match two people together. And I would sit there and refresh it and be like, you know, the previous number was like, you know, 10,256, whatever. And the next job would be like 10,257, you know, and you're like trying to do some math in your head. And I was like, man, is it, is this going fast or slow? I don't even understand. Like, I'm just hoping I remember the number the last time I refreshed it. And so it occurred to me that like some sense of the difference in the last time I refreshed was valuable to me because I was trying to do that in my head. But then I realized it was like, that's just the, the job of a graph. And um, I know how to make you know, graphs on the web and this, this web piece, um, sidekick, you know, the web UI at the time was written in Sinatra. And I was like, I've seen then tinkered with Sinatra. So maybe there's something I could do to help here. And so, you know, over a course of, I'd say, um, it may be three or four months. Uh, I just dove into sidekick and was like, let me, let me try to make this dashboard better. Um, and so, you know, there, there was nothing there to actually get the data for it um, on the client side. So, yeah, that was started. That was kind of my first step into I know that I want some graphs and I know that I want them to be, you know, updating incrementally and with the dashboard open. What do we need to get there? And so, you know, build out some API endpoints and do some um, inside sidekick. There weren't there weren't the stats that there are now. So there wasn't. Um, there wasn't a way to save, you know, when, when a job process successfully, um, it wasn't always tracked. And so it was kind of fixing up all those points. And then at the, at the end, you know, once we had all the data together and the API was in a way that it would give those diffs, you know, to just render out the graph. And so, um, for me, that's kind of like my, I, I guess at the time was, um, my valuable contribution was the, the web UI you see in sidekick now with the graphs, um, the historic one at the bottom and then the kind of the real time one there, uh, was what I worked on um, over three or four months. So hopefully everybody enjoys that. And, um, I think it's awesome. Still use sidekick to this day and, uh, still find those graphs helpful. So I guess, I guess I should thank myself. Right. <laughs> yep. I was just going to say, and then since then, you know, a handful of once I've felt better about the apps I was writing, you know, I've released a couple other gems like sucker punch that, um, sort of, um, satisfied a need that I had in one of my apps, which was like basically like sidekick, but without Redis. Um, and it was just all in the worker pro or in the web process. So you didn't need a separate worker process for if you run on Heroku and that kind of thing. So that was a, that was a niche that, um, I made a jump for and, and it, you know, seems to become 
helpful for other people. And so, you know, since then, I've, I've been much more confident in kind of the patterns of the apps that I use and found out the things that I use app to app that are common. Um, and so those are the things I've, I've worked out as gems and, and written about. Um, and so hopefully they're helpful to other people. Cool. What are you working on these days? Yeah. So like I said, it was, um, an app called bark and, um, you can find us at bark.us and, um, it's a rails app, uh, in kind of in total has a lot of legs, you know, so we have iOS and Android apps and everything. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we went, we've gone down the path of kind of doing the base camp style, um, native apps with the uh, TurboLynx uh, web views and everything. And, and that's worked out well. And we're a small team. So, um, yeah, we haven't had the strong need to have, you know, native developers for all those platforms, uh, on our team, which, which has been good for, especially when you don't have tons of money. So, um, yeah, we're, our, our, we have a handful of apps, but, um, they're all Ruby. Um, we do a bunch of machine learning and that's, that's obviously not Ruby, but, um, it interfaces pretty easy and, um, yeah, that's kind of the deal. Nice. Well, if people want to follow up with you, see what you're, uh, doing these days, uh, check in on that, get a, or build a gem book. Uh, what do you recommend that they do? Yeah, I think everything sort of a, a Brandon dot or Brandon is sort of launching point for all those things. So I write there and I write about bark a lot and what I'm working on while building bark. Um, and some of the challenges kind of face there. And then, uh, the book build a Ruby gem, you can find it, um, from the site there on the side, just click books. Um, there's a newsletter there. I, I write to the newsletter quite a bit. So um kind of want to just hear what I'm working on or some, some of the problems I'm facing. You can find it there. Um, and then Twitter, you kind of tweet random stuff. It's uh, not that groundbreaking, but nevertheless, if, if Twitter's your thing, I'm Brandon Hilkert there. All right. Well, the last thing that we do here is picks. Did you bring some picks with you? Well, I'd, it'd probably be silly if I didn't pick Bark. Um, I'm really proud of what we're doing. And uh, if you have kids on social media, um, we can probably help. So Bark.us. Um, some of the other picks, I you know, I was thinking about kind of my time back to learning about multi-threading and, um, in Ruby and the work, uh, the 3 by 3 work for Ruby 3. You know, it's pretty exciting reading all the information about guilds and the potential there and um, how that might change. And so it, it just made me think back to you know, Ruby as and how much it's changed since when I first got into it. It's kind of not as fancy anymore, right? And you see like enterprise companies adopting it and um, it's just changed and it's 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 pretty cool to see. And um, I'm thankful that uh, I've had the experience that I have with Ruby and Rails and I'm just really thankful for the tool in general and, and being able to build the things that I want so quickly. You know, I like... I think like any other technology person who has some fascination with the new and shiny tools that come about, but I haven't, I guess I haven't found any that allow me to be as productive. And that's not to say that I, you could probably learn them and get maybe close, but yeah, there's something about, um, you know, just a new, a new app and just, and getting moving fast. And that, that for me is, is what I got into rails and web development for. So, um, I'm just really thankful for, the community and everything that goes on there. Cause it's a, it's a monumental effort to keep something like that going in an organized way, at least, you know? Yep. I am curious with bark. Are you, are you sticking with the latest versions of rails or have you kind of settled in on a particular version? And then if there's something compelling in a new version, you'll move up. We've traditionally just kept updating, um, mm-hmm. as the stable versions come out. 
Um, the apps aren't big enough to really, I mean, there were a hand, I remember going from four to five that was, you know, changed some tests and texts. It was sort of a pain to get over, but, um, you know, I, 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 I worked on an app for a long time that was still kind of in the two, I guess it was like two, three, eight days. Right. And, um, and seeing the effort it took to update to rails three and then four, um, it was, it was a huge pain and you know, that, that time just kind of builds on itself that it, that it'll take and the pain involved in getting there. And so for me, you know, if I, I'd rather spread out, you know, call it like a week's effort over a couple years, you know, a day here, day there. Um, and they're well tested and, and that was a priority for me. So I knew mm-hmm. that, um, if I could stay close, um, it wouldn't be that big a deal. Will we update the first day it comes out? Probably not, but, uh, we'll definitely be there, but, We'll definitely be on the newer version by the time the next version comes out. You right. know what I mean? Yep. So I say close, but um, it's certainly stable, but it's a priority for me to stay up. And I also, I understand what it feels like to come in as a developer on, a, on an app that's really old. And um, if we were to need developers for some reason, I I, I just feel like it, it's my job not to kind of subject people to that type of pain sometimes. Um, so yeah, we stay up to date. Makes sense. Any other picks? I kind of cut you off there. No, I think, I think that summarizes it. It's the guilds work and then just kind of Ruby and rails community in general. I'm I'm really thankful for. Awesome. I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. Um, The first one is, and I'm going to pick this with a caveat. I, I really enjoyed the books. I really enjoyed the story. Didn't really enjoy the foul language in the books. Um, but, uh, anyway, I really enjoyed it. The first book is called the emperor's blades by Brian Staveley. Um, the next book is the Providence of fire. And now I'm into the third book and I can't remember the name of it. So anyway, um, it's a trilogy. Um, so far it's been really, really fascinating to just dive into this world and, and what it, you know, cause there's, there's this rich history and, you know, it, you're thinking, okay, you know, this is kind of crazy history and, you know, they're fighting over the succession of this empire and then it turns out that the history becomes somewhat relevant <laughs> to the fight. And so, so all these things that you're just kind of sitting there trying to keep track of and file away because it's interesting culture. It turns out is not just interesting culture, but it's all real. And so yeah. anyway, really That's great cool. magic, uh, but, but not like overpowering magic. And so it's anyway, it's really, really fascinating, really enjoying it. Um, one other thing that I'm going to pick here really quickly is Google drive. Um, I've been a Dropbox user for quite a long time, but I'm finding that Google Drive just gives you some tools that uh, Dropbox doesn't. And so um, I'm going to pick it just for the way that you can manage and work on documents. And then finally, the last thing that I'm going to pick is a system called Contactually. Um, I recently switched CRMs to 17 Hats, and 17 Hats is everything I want except for a couple of really, really, really critical things. And contextually seems to have all of the things that 17 hats does minus invoicing, um, which I can just do through QuickBooks. And then um, it has all of the other things that 17 hats has that I need. And what this really boils down to just to give one example is that in 17 hats, in order to put somebody through an automated sequence, you basically have to create a project with that person. And then you add the project to a workflow and that workflow will email them. Um, and so as you can imagine, if I want to reach out to all of the past guests, guests of Ruby rogues and say, Hey, come do a, my Ruby story with me. 
that kind of turns into a lot of work because we've done over 300 episodes of Ruby Rogues. And so with Contactually, I can just put them all in a bucket. That's the other thing is I can share the contacts with the people that work for me that need access to those people. And so I'm only giving people's contact info to the people who work for me that need it, not everybody. Um, But anyway, um, down to the other piece of things is that there they can take the entire bucket and they can add them to a workflow. And then um, I can interrupt that workflow. So let's say that I send out those emails and somebody actually gets in and, um, you know, clicks the link to um, to schedule a time. Then it takes them out of the workflow so they don't get reminded to sign up again and again. Because at that point, they've already been, um, you know, they've already scheduled. So anyway, lots of great stuff there. I'm still not in love with it. And it does import all of your contacts from your Gmail account, just as a warning. So if you are going to be doing sharing with the team, um, you can keep your contacts private and then just share buckets. And that's what I've been doing. But anyway, overall, it's kind of the best CRM system for what I'm doing that I've been able to find. Um, And I've tried a whole bunch of them, including Salesforce and stuff. And a lot of them are either too complicated or it's just way too much work to do something simple. And it seems like this one has short-circuited a lot of that. So anyway, um, I'll keep you posted. Um, This is like the third or fourth CRM switch I've done within the last year. So we'll see if I run into something with this one. But anyway, I'm pretty excited about it. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Brandon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I encourage everybody to go check out, uh, what Brandon's up to and especially that book, how to build a Ruby gem and, uh, we'll wrap this one up. We'll catch y'all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.